Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series by the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. My name is Jill Harper, and I'm the Vice Chair of Communications on the CIA's Research Council. In this episode, we'll be talking about two papers relating to the sustainability of pension plans and the implications for regulator policy. The first paper is a C.D. Howe commentary paper called The Quest for Sustainability in Contingent Pension Plans. This paper was published in September 2019. The second paper, which is a follow-up to the first paper, is an e-brief also published by the C.D. Howe Institute in June of 2020 called Room to Thrive, Why Principles-Based Standards Make Sense for Regulating Contingent Pension Plans. If you're interested in learning more about either of these papers, you can find them by going to the C.D. Howe Institute website. There should be a link attached to this podcast posting. To help us explore these papers, we have Barbara Saunders and Barry Gross on the line today. Barbara holds her fellowship with the Canadian Institute of Actuaries and is an associate professor with the Department of Statistics and Actuarial Science at the Simon Fraser University. Barbara's research draws on her pension consulting background and focuses on exploring public policy and emerging issues in pension practice. Barbara is one of the two co-authors in the first of the two papers that we're talking about today. Barry also holds his fellowship with the Canadian Institute of Actuaries, is the chair of the pension board at the University of British Columbia's staff pension plan, and is a member of the C.D. Howe Institute Pension Policy Council. Barry is a retired consulting pension actuary with a wealth of experience and knowledge regarding pension plans. Barry co-authored the first paper that we're discussing today with Barbara, and he is the author of the second paper. Welcome to both of you, and thank you for joining. Thanks. Pleased to be here. Great. Thank you. So let's start with some definitions. Both publications refer to contingent pension plans. What does this term mean? Well, Barry and I coined the term in our C.D. Howe commentary and it refers to any collective pension plan where either some or all of the benefit that's received by members is directly dependent on the financial position of the plan. So some part of the benefit changes depending on how well the plan is doing. And this would include target benefit plans, multi-employer pension plans, shared risk plans in New Brunswick, but also even uh, jointly sponsored pension plans with conditional indexing. So both of you have been quite active on the target benefit plan space before you started on this project. Barbara, you on the research side and Barry, you on the practical side. Where did the motivation for this particular study come from? It definitely came from the practical side. Barry's been working with the UBC staff plan for a while, and he was doing a lot of thinking around how to set the trigger points for when to improve or decrease the benefits. And this is a fundamental question for the operation of any target benefit plan. Basically, you want to set the triggers in a way that supports the long-term sustainability of the benefit and also the sustainability of the plan as a whole. But how do you define sustainability and how do you measure it? So these were the questions that we started with. And there didn't seem to be any generally accepted practice. So Barry came up with the idea of surveying existing practices by conducting a series of interviews. And that's what we did. We did 30 interviews and ended up with about 45 hours worth of insights and experience, which then we tried to distill in the commentary that we wrote. So what does sustainability mean for contingent pension plans? Well, if you're cynical, you might say that it means whatever people want to hear. And certainly we came across many organizations that use the term without having an official definition. But uh, 
you know, Barry and I are optimists. We believe that even if there's no agreed upon definition, this word actually carries meaning. So we try to extract that in our interviews. And we really put people on the spot by asking them to explain in their own words how the term sustainability is used in their plan or in their practice. Basically, what concepts does it cover? And of course, everyone used different words because they were making up these definitions on the fly. But it was great because we could really capture a lot of nuance. So when we hunted through the interview transcripts, we were able to pull out about 30 different aspects of sustainability. Some of the more prominent ones were um, long horizon and affordability. And benefit security was also important in the sense of being able to deliver the targeted benefits with high probability. And then stability and equity were also mentioned as well as the idea of successfully balancing competing objectives. I mean, if you just think of affordability, stability, and equity, these are often seen as, as competing objectives over the long term. And then there was also the idea of providing some sort of enduring value proposition to members, but also to sponsors, and the concept of just maintaining stakeholder support. And these ideas were all tied into the concept of sustainability in a con uh, contingent pension plan. It's very complex. So I know you also asked about what can be done to achieve sustainability. What type of answers did you get? Yeah, so with both Barry and I being actuaries, we were really expecting a lot of technical answers here relating to essentially the financial management of the plan, like how you should set the benefit triggers and so on. But the practitioners that we talked to all agreed that there is other aspects of the plan, such as the design, the governance structure, even member communication that are just as important for sustainability as those financial aspects. In terms of what's most relevant from a regulatory perspective, which is the direction that we took in, in our papers, there's a few things I would mention. Number one, most people agreed that the statutory valuation is not their main tool for testing or understanding sustainability in their plans. Also, uh, we found that assessing sustainability has to involve some kind of long-term modeling. Most people we talked to were using 10 or 15 or even 20-year horizons, so it's not a, a three-year thing. Also, the people that we, we talked to believe that sustainability testing and stress testing are not the same thing. Stress testing looks at what happens when one thing goes terribly wrong. But to understand sustainability, you need to understand the combined effect of multiple random factors over the long term. And finally, I would say that the metrics people use in their plans depend on how they define sustainability and specifically how they think of that balancing exercise within their own plan. And so to us, this suggested that there isn't necessarily a single metric that all plans can or even should use. So were any of your findings particularly surprising? Well, I think both Barry and I had a lot of aha moments. We talked to a lot of really knowledgeable people, so that was fantastic. But what was probably most surprising was the incredible diversity of the situations that are faced by these plans. I mean, to start out, we deliberately included a variety of plan types in our study. You know, we, we started off with just target benefit plans, but then we branched out to MAPs and shared risk plans and, and jointly sponsored pension plans. So even just among those four, we expected there to have you know, for these four kinds of plans to have slightly different considerations and approaches to sustainability. But I would say what was surprising was the diversity within each of these plan types. So if you just look at multi-employer pension plans, they're not a homogenous group and neither are the other, the other ones actually. 
Um, but in the case of maps, for example, they face very different rules in different jurisdictions. And then they also have very different concerns based on the business climate that they're in. So if you think of a plan that covers a manufacturing sector that's in decline versus a plan that operates in a more robust environment, they, they're going to have very different challenges and also different threats to their sustainability. And then the governance structure also matters. Who is represented? Who's asking the questions? How much capacity do they have for complex questions and solutions? These all have an impact on how the question of sustainability is approached. And so one of our conclusions was that because of this diversity, rules-based regulation is a huge challenge for contingent pension plans. Yeah, so I know, Barry, that your e-brief that was a follow-up to the first paper talks about this last idea of regulatory challenge. Can you briefly summarize what your main argument was? Yeah, sure. Um, the basic premise of the e-brief is that the, the current approach of rules-based standards for the financing of these plans is fraught with problems. And this, and the, and this exists because they are often in the, the, the existing rules are often in direct conflict with uh, rigorous plan management practices that include stochastic and deterministic stress testing that these plans are using to determine the adequacy of their plan contribution. So I know your paper goes into principle-based regulation. Can you explain what principle-based regulation means? Sure. Um, principles-based regulation, or PBR, as the e-brief refers to it, uh, it's based on the idea that organizations and their management are better placed than policymakers and regulators to determine what processes and actions are required to achieve a given policy objective. So instead of focusing on prescribing the processes or actions that organizations must take, policymakers step back, define the outcomes that they're looking for. An important characteristic of PBR that's particularly applicable to pensions in Canada is the reliance on constant improvements in industry best practices and guidance with respect to best practices rather than prescriptive rulemaking. You know, it's incredibly difficult to get pensions on the political agenda in this country. So the time frame for legislative change in pensions typically spans decades. And this, this isn't acceptable any longer, given how dynamic the world is and given the pace of ongoing improvements to pension best practices. So is principle-based regulation or PBR new to pensions? Well, it's interesting. I started looking into this. Um, you know, a lot's been written about PBR, but not so much in the context of pensions. However, the report of the Joint Expert Panel on Pension Standards, or JEPS, as it's known in the industry, which is the result of a joint effort by BC and Alberta in 2008, has extensive commentary on this topic. It's a very good read. And the topic of PBR was also covered in a research paper by Mary Condon prepared for the 2008 Ontario Expert Commission Pension Review. So what's the challenge here? Well, the fundamental challenge for target benefit plans and multi-employer pension plans is pretty simple. I mean, it's to provide a reasonable pension to members given fixed contributions going into the plan. The, the contributions are fixed, but the benefits aren't. The fundamental challenge for a traditional defined benefit or DB pension plan is to determine the level of contributions needed to provide the promised benefits. So very different challenges, very different focus for each. Pension regulations regarding DB funding have changed dramatically over the years. The most recent development being a move away from funding on a solvency basis to funding on what's known as a going concern plus basis, which involves prescribed provision for adverse deviation or PFAD. Unfortunately, we now have the situation where target benefit plans and multi-employer pension plans seem to have been caught up 
in the move away from solvency funding for traditional DD plans with the imposition of going concern plus funding rules without any recognition of plan specific objectives and risk management processes in place for these types of plans. This approach seems to totally ignore the fundamental nature of these pension plans and seems to try to convert them to define benefit through the back door. Now, interestingly, there's, there's absolutely nothing in the current regulatory framework that reviews the process under which target benefit pension plans determine a reasonable pension. Plus, it's been well recognized that having members materially involved in the running of a plan, involved in making all key decisions, fundamentally changes the nature of the overall risk inherent in the plan. And furthermore, it's, it's well known by pension plan designers that plans with benefit levers that allow them to bend, not break when stressed, are significantly more resilient than those that don't. This concept of levers features prominently in the DB plus offering of the Colleges of, uh, of Applied Arts and Technology pension plan known as CAT. None of this information seems to have been factored into the development of existing regulations for target benefit pension plans. So can you expand a little bit more on what the problem is as you see it? Yeah, according to the CIA, which has done uh, a fair bit of uh, work on target benefit plans, uh, assessing a target benefit plan's financial health is best accomplished using forward-looking probabilistic tools that focus on the long-term sustainability of the intended benefit, not backward-looking tests that simply assess where things are today. The same would be true for multi-employer pension plans. Now, furthermore, both the CIA and JEPS have recommended that the nature of target benefit pension plans is such that they're better suited to regulations that allow each plan to implement risk management strategies that are appropriate for that plan and its circumstances. These recommendations seem to have been totally ignored and, interestingly, not even responded to in the development of regulations for target benefit pension plans. So thinking about principles-based regulation, what kind of principles are you talking about? Well, the eBrief highlight best practices from the research that Barbara and I undertook, noting that not any one plan likely follows all of these practices. The following are examples of the kinds of principles that might be a natural fit for the best practices we identified. Number one, plan members and their benefits should be at the center of all decision-making by those managing the plan. Number two, the primary objective of plan management should be the long-term sustainability of the targeted benefit. Number three, benefit sustainability should be defined by each plan, including the acceptable frequency for benefit adjustment. Number four, margins should be adopted appropriate to the risks involved and the outcomes specified by plan management or pension standards. Number five, whenever sustainability tests fail, remedial action should be taken within a reasonable period of time. Number six, there should be consistency over time in the methodology used for determining sustainability. The rationale for change in the methodology should be clearly documented. Number seven, a position on intergenerational equity should be taken. This is really important. And lastly, and it goes without saying, all work of an actuarial nature must be done in accordance with applicable standards of practice promulgated by the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. So I would say that with the trend in pension regulation in Canada, to risk-based assessment and monitoring, it seems to me that PBR, combined with appropriate metrics under a risk-based assessment framework, and even on-site plan inspections, would work extremely well without putting members' pension benefits unduly at risk. So your e-brief covered governance and communication as well. Can you touch on those items? Oh, sure. I mean, 
Both governance and member communication were identified in the research that Barbara and I did as being important contributors to a contingent pension plan sustainability. And we identified significant shortcomings in each of these areas. A plan's current state of wellness is the result of all of the decisions that have been made over its entire existence. Good governance enhances the chance of getting these decisions right and thereby contributing to the health of the plan. Its importance cannot be understated, but to work, governance must be more than a checklist. It has to be an active part of plan management. And in the e-brief, I use the UBC staff pension plan as an example. And this plan has both appointed and elected members on its pension board. And as a result of a recent governance review undertaken by an independent third party, I gave the following examples of changes that have been implemented in the past five years. Formalization of the position of an independent board chair, where it had been a temporary position before. Setting a time limit for board members of 12 years, where previously there was no limit. Assigning two of its four appointed positions to designated UBC staff positions to ensure the board has the right knowledge and competencies. And lastly, the establishment of an ESG committee to work on ESG-related issues and bring forward specific recommendations to the full, full board. There are many resources and, and there's much training available for plans that want best-in-class governance, which I won't bother listing for the purpose of the podcast. But governance challenges persist. A number were identified in the pension review that Ontario undertook in 2008. Retirees often having no voice in the governance of their plan. Many multi-employer pension plan members apparently being totally unaware that their pension benefits are not fixed. Many multi-employer pension plans being governed entirely by plan by uh, member representatives, typically union appointees, and the roles of some key participants in pension governance being ambiguous so that their duty of the plan is not clearly defined. These same issues also came up in the research undertaken by Barbara and me 10 years later. In the e-brief, I conclude that it would seem that issues governance stem not from lack of resources, but due to other factors, such as those highlighted in the Ontario Review in 2008. So on governance, I recommend prescribing stronger governance requirements rather than just relying on guidelines, similar to what was recommended in Ontario's review in 2008. And a few examples are ensuring there are, there are representatives with different skills and interests that are appointed as the trustees, appoint non-beneficiaries as trustees, including independent trustees, lessen conflicts by adopting formulaic rules where possible, benefit adjustments, and lastly, enhance the checks and balances that appear to be needed, especially with respect to keeping members informed of the true nature of the benefits and providing them with opportunities to discuss key plan decisions. And what about member communication? Well, a key finding from the research that we undertook is that on a generally universal basis, plans are undertaking no formal activity to understand their members' understanding of the plan, their members' concerns, and their members' misconceptions. Furthermore, many plans lack clarity on their communication strategy and key messages. Maintaining uh, the trust of plan members can be a critical to plan sustainability, and trust is based more on emotions than facts. It's unfortunate that so little attention is paid to member communication by either policymakers or plan management. And lastly, you know, too many plan administrators and advisors confuse disclosure with communication. Pension standards dictate minimum disclosure requirements. That's right. But these are push techniques that require no evidence of receipt or understanding. True communication only exists if there's a feedback loop and prescribed disclosure currently doesn't provide that. 
One way to address these communication shortcomings would be require all target benefit plans and multi-employer pension plans to have a communication policy similar to funding, governance, and investment policies that exist or are required in many jurisdictions currently. An effective communication policy would include at a minimum the following, identification of all key audiences, statement of goal and objectives, identification of all communication activities by audience, indicating their purpose, expected outcomes, and measurement metrics so that the effectiveness of each activity can be measured and managed accordingly. That makes sense, but I think a lot of people are going to be wondering about the cost associated with this. Isn't this just going to increase the regulatory burden and the cost of pension plans? Well, yeah, I, I could see some saying that, but you know, something required is seldom a burden when you really should be doing it in the first place. In the e-brief, I mentioned, again, as an example, the UBC staff pension plan, which develops an extensive education and communication plan each year that incorporates all of these elements. And based on my experience, this has been integral to the success of the plan that it has achieved as a long-standing target benefit plan. Thank you both for joining us today and for sharing your thoughts. We really appreciate having you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. It's been a real pleasure. If you want to learn more about either of these papers, you can do so by visiting the C.D. Howe Institute website. A link should be attached to this podcast publication. And as a reminder, if you are interested in any CIA published research, you can find that research by visiting the website at www.cia-ica.ca, selecting the research tab at the top, then choosing research projects. Within this tab, you can also find a link to share your research ideas. So if you have any ideas or comments that you wish to share about CIA research, please use that link to share what you've got. My name is Jill Harper, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Seeing Beyond Risk. <laughs>